Well, it's now 2024, and we are excited that you are here with us at Portrait Church, listening to our podcast. My name is Jay. I get the privilege of being the pastor here at Portrait Church. And here's what we think. The best thing we can do as we start 2024 is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We are in a brand new series called Seek First, where we are exploring what is the kingdom of God? Why should we seek it first? How should we respond to it? And what is the type of people God wants us to become in his kingdom? So we pray that as you start your 2024 year, that you would find value in seeking first God's kingdom and everything else will be added to you. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit us online at portrait.church or you can find us on social media. We'll be meeting at the Mitten Building here in Redlands on Sundays. And we hope you enjoy this message. And we honestly hope one day we'll see you in person as well. Take care. If it's your first time, my name is Jay. I get the privilege of serving as the pastor here. Uh, forgive me in advance if my voice cracks. I've already gone through puberty, but I just happened to get a new uh, job recently. Um, very excited about this job. I um, yesterday became the manager of the Shetland Giants T-ball division, age five and six. Thank you. So as you can know that uh, trying to teach T-ball to 12 kids by yourself, um, you tend to lose your voice. So I'm honored to be here. Um, Teresa, thank you for leading us in prayer. I would love to start in prayer again today because I simply believe we can't get enough of it. So God, speak through my voice, speak through your text, and if there's people here who are curious or don't know about you, Jesus, would you illuminate something in such a way that that curiosity would lead them to further engage with you? As Dell said, we want nothing more, God, than to leave people more impressed with you than us. So would that be said today? In Jesus' name, amen. We are in a series called Seek First, and what we are essentially trying to do here is how do we create a compelling community in such a broken and fractured world? And so even as you see the imagery on the screens or if you followed us on social media, this idea, we haven't talked about it in a while, but this Kintsugi art inspired um, this design and this framework of thinking. And it was a Japanese art that would take broken pottery, would, and, and they wouldn't just throw the throw them away because they were broken, but they would take this gold linery and they would, they would put it together and it would create this beautiful piece of tapestry and art that was preserved by this gold filling. And we believe here at Portrait that the gold filling is the good news of Jesus, that this brokenness that we see in the world, the fracturedness of relationships, of division within churches and politics and racism and all these things, that the thing that could be the gold refinery line is the good news of Jesus that we can actually create something that's really compelling and beautiful in this world so that when the world looks at the church, followers of Jesus, they say, wow, there's something very special there. And what it be said is because of Jesus. And so as we are talking about the kingdom of God and what it is and who do we become in it, the background of this text 
is Jesus earlier in the scriptures telling his disciples about the kingdom of God, the rule, the reign of God, how God leads everything. We, we've defined the kingdom of God as uh, whenever, however, God gets what he wants. Not our building our little kingdoms, but pursuing his. And so the backdrop of this text is he's telling his disciples, they've heard that the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe. But then Jesus is talking about the kingdoms also coming. And so we as human beings who live on earth now, we live in this tension point of the kingdom being both here and not yet. And he's talking about, Jesus is talking about this time where there's going to be a final end judgment. And the disciples are like, oh, this ju- when is that going to happen? You know, anytime you hear like, oh, there's a judgment coming, it's like, yo, I want to be, be ready. And that's what they're asking him. And many people, they're, sure, Jesus outlines his potential signs. And you could go through tons of different opinions on when that's going to be, how that's going to be. But at the end of the day, he says, nobody knows when or the day or the time except my father. So be ready. It's like, okay. Many of us like to know the exact time of something, and some of y'all still don't even show up on time to that, right? Hey, I run on black people time too, so don't get offended. That wasn't a shot. Shoot, I'd probably be late to this church service if we didn't have to preach, you know? But the reality is the kingdom is, is, is both here and, it, and it's not yet. And so Jesus, he does this crazy thing where he's like, yo, the temples, love this temple, this thing about to be destroyed. There will be no stone unturned. And they're like, really, when is this going to happen? He says, hey, that's up to the father to decide. And then he says this parable, because the parable of the talents shows us that one day, every single one of us in here will have to stand before God and give an account of what we've done. We have to stand before God and give an account for what he's done. So the tension that you and I all need to sit in is this. If Jesus came today, would you be more embarrassed or ashamed of what you had to offer him or would you be ready for his return? Would you be more embarrassed or ashamed of what you had to offer him or would you be ready for his return? Now, I know some of you already, you like even me saying that, there's people that have used scripture like this to kind of spiritually manipulate and abuse you. So I want to, I want to, I just want you to hear my heart when I'm saying this scripture, because this is, this is Jesus talking. I'm not trying to downplay his words, but the reality is that one day you and I will have to stand before him and give an account for what we did with our life. It should bring a sense of fear of the Lord. It should bring a sense of that. It's a healthy fear. But I also need to remind you that the very first words that this God used to describe himself was gentle and lowly. So don't get it twisted and fall off the deep end of fear of God, because yes, that is true. You should fear God and fear God alone, but that fear of him is the beginning of you getting more wise. It should be the beginning of more humility being produced in you. And everyone knows that this idea of a God or a higher power exists in all of us at some point, even atheists, even people who are agnostic. Most of the time, those don't believe in a God until there's a breaking point, until there's a deathbed, until I've lost everything. And I'm telling you, when people are faced with death, there's something about that that makes them think 
about how they live their life? Did everything I do actually matter? I think that's what the reason why many people struggle with identity and purpose today, because they're trying to reach for something and say, does what I do, do I even matter? Does what I do matter? And at the end of the time of all of our life, I think we're all going to look back and say, did, I, did what I do actually make a difference? Did it matter? I love how Tim Keller says in his book, Every Good Endeavor, everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we will do will make any difference and all good endeavors, even the best will come to an come to nothing unless there is a God. If the God of the Bible exists and there is a true reality beneath um, and behind this one, and this life is not the only life in every good endeavor, even the simplest ones pursued in response to God's calling can even matter. Even the smallest things that you do for pursuing the kingdom of God matters. Because when you seek to advance God's kingdom, it matters forever. Because his kingdom, how he rules, how he's going to reign, it's going to last all of eternity, y'all. So the things that you do now to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it doesn't end on your deathbed. It carries into all of eternity. And I think we should realize that that's what we want to put our stock in. We want to put our stock in things that are going to outlast us. When I'm telling my kids about Jesus, I know that Jesus is going to outlast me. When I'm telling my kids about the kingdom of God and who he is and how he lives and how he cares for the poor, how he cares for justice, how he cares for the marginalized, that's going to outlast me when I die. And that is what we should all be pushing forward, is to let the kingdom advance. And so when we read this text, we cannot insert our cultural understanding of the word talent because it's not referring to skills or gifts, but it's referring to a weight of currency. Talent during this time was referred to the largest unit of currency in this cultural time. Some calculate that a talent were to be, uh, one talent was worth 20 years of wages for a common worker. So I did the math. I took the average baseline uh, salary that someone in California makes, and I multiplied it by 20 years. And right now, one talent would be worth $1.3 million in California. Some of y'all like, can I get a talent up in here? <laughs> Shoot, just give me one. Let me hold something, God, Right. Sorry, hold something. That means like, God, could you give me some? Yeah, just. So we have a man here going on this journey. And he's going on this journey and he calls his servants together and he's going to entrust his property to the servants. He says, five talents to you, three, two talents, two talents to you, and then one talent to you. And it says that he did this according to, to their ability, to, according to their ability. So one of the things I want you to do is when you read scripture, I just want to give you a little cheat code. When you read scripture, think of, the, think of this, uh, think of shoes and clues. So clues just helps you read. So in the beginning, when Jonathan read the text, it said it. Well, you're like, well, what is it? And then if you were to read back, you would understand that it is talking about the kingdom of God. And then you, want to, then you look for shoes in a text. You say, who are the people? So then you have a, you have a master. 
And then when you think of the, the context and you think of the clues, you got the shoes. Oh, the master's talking about God. It's talking about Jesus. So as you're reading, just a quick little, quick little nugget for you to hold on to, shoes and clues are always helpful for when you're engaging the text. And so it says that this man entrusted them to his property. We can't miss this. What this means is that the owner and the, 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 the man who entrusted the property, the master is the owner, and the servants are the managers. He's given them property to manage, everybody say manage, manage while he's gone. He did not give them anything to own. Manage. And this was God's idea from the very beginning of time. When he created the heavens and the earth, he created humanity, he said it was really good. And then he said, you know what? I've created you with dignity, so there's, there's inerrant value inside of you. But I've also created you for dominion, which this idea of dominion means I've created you to go manage and create. But you know what the problem with Adam and Eve was, right? They thought they were owners and not managers. And that's the problem with pretty much all of humanity is we think we're owners when God has said, no, 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 you're my servants. I have called you to manage. You may own a lot of stuff, but I'm actually calling you to manage a lot of stuff. And that kind of thinking we will see brings repercussions. So God has called us to manage things. And what I would say, kingdom stewardship is the goal. And kingdom stewardship is the responsibility to faithfully protect and expand the resources God has entrusted to us as managers on his behalf. That is what all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus are here to do. And what are we supposed to manage? Everything that God's given us. The resources he's given us, the time that he's given us, the thoughts that he's given us, the people that he's given us, the kids that he's given us, the job he has given us, the relationships he's given us, the money we, he's given us, everything he's given us. If you know that you're a manager, you don't own. Trust me, I bought a house. Everyone talks up how great it is to own a house. To be honest, I wish somebody else could pay those fix-it bills. I really do. Like, I'll be, I, I moved into a house and realized, wow, I am a bad owner, y'all. Like, I'm like, I was so used to somebody else fixing it for me. But the reality is, you and I are not as good as owners as we want to believe. And why? It's because it was never our role. It was never our role. Don't choke. Don't choke, brother. <laughs> it was never our role. Stewardship is a responsibility. It should, it should produce greater humility in us. It should produce tons more humility in us. When I used to play uh, basketball, played college basketball, and um, we used to have this thing where you would, uh, after the game, you would watch game film. And y'all, that is one of the, watching game film on yourself is one of the most hardest telling, because you'd be thinking, oh, I did, I did all this right. I was there. I helped defense. I did my assignment. Then the game tape, you look at the game tape, it's like, brother, you were not there. You were not even close because the game tape, it, it, it will tell the truth about you. And one day you and I are going to stand before God and he's going to say, okay, give me an account of what did you do? What did you do with your job? What did you do with your money? What did you do with your kids? What did you do with all the resources? He's, and you know what? He's going to be like, you know what? Matter of fact, 
I got the tape right here. Let me go ahead and pull it up. And I think the reality is that shouldn't lead us to greater fear to go into moralism and trying to do all things right. That should lead us to greater reverence. It should lead us to greater humility to say, oh my gosh, God, honestly, like you knew I was trying to do, I could not do this without you. So I sought you. I did whatever I could to bring back more for you. But God, I'll let the tape speak for itself. And the reality is the worldview of being a kingdom steward is a type of lens that you and I should put on. It's a type of perspective that we should put on that God is doing a better job at owning things than we can always. And so that should be the framework that we use. But here's the thing. It takes faith to have this kind of framework. It says that the five talent servant went at once and traded them, making five more talents. And when he came back in verse 20, it says he brought the talents back saying, master, you gave me five. I've made you five more. Listen to how the master responds to him in verse 21. The master responds, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of of your master. Then I find this very fascinating. The one that had two talents came and the one that had two talents came forward and I said, master, you gave me two talents here. I have made two more and listen to what the master says. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 23, Matthew, are you just copying and pasting? Did we like forget did, we, did you forget to, is that an error? Y'all know some of y'all love copy and paste. You just be making that paper longer. <laughs> y'all know. Like, Matthew, what are you doing here? The master says the same thing about both amounts. He doesn't show favoritism. Notice that. He didn't say, oh, well done, my most glorious and faithful servant who has brought in me five more talents and then turn to this guy and say, hey, well done, man, you, you did all right. You brought me two more. His response is the same. Do you know why? Because God is more concerned about the faithfulness over the size of the results. God is more concerned about you, faith, you being faithful over the size of these results. Both of them, it says, both of them, they, they did their work promptly. They did it with perseverance. It said the master had been gone for a long time. So these, these two knew, okay, we're trusting in who the master is. We're trusting that he's going to return. We're trusting that he's going to make all things right. So we're going to go ahead and steward this and we're going to have faith and we're going to risk and sell more. Now, I, I want a quick caveat to this. This is not like uh, God's sign for you to start trading cryptocurrency. I just want to lay that out there because some of you men are going to go back to your wife. See, babe, look, if I get five, I'm going to get five more. That's not how it works. Some of y'all, you won't get five and you're going to lose all five. So just stop. This is, not, this is not God's investment strategy for how to double your income. That's not what it's about. You see, they believed, what they believed about the master impacted their behavior. What they believed about the master impacted their behavior. So they were ready. They were gone. They, they went and traded. There's activity. They were ready to give an account to the master because they knew he was going to return. They were ready. And so same 
response to different amounts. And I need to remind us today that the goal is not to know how many talents you have. It's to be faithful to advance the kingdom with what's in front of you. The goal is not for you to be searching and knowing how many talents you have. It's to be being faithful to advance the kingdom with what is right in front of you. We've all been given the same call. And that is to love God, to love people, to make what is called disciples, these apprentices who reorient their life around following Jesus, to be with him, become like him, and do what he did. But you and I, especially in our cultural way that America and the world likes to look at giftings and talents, we have to be very careful. Because culturally, we tend to look at gifts in other people in very surface level ways. 1 Samuel 16, 7 reminds us, and it says that the Lord does not see as man sees. Because man looks out the outward appearance, but God, he looks at the heart. We don't see the same way God sees. And so we should be asking God to give us your eyes to see what actual talents look like here on earth. Because if we are not careful to define talents the way that God defined talents. And if we define talents the way that culture, the way that the culture defines talents, then many of you, you know this. There are people that are far more talented and gifted than you. You can think about them. There's always that one mom who's a better mom that you're comparing yourself to. There's always that person, that friend who got the relationship or got the baby or got the job. There's always that guy who's got more deltoids. There's always somebody. Y'all know this. There's always somebody that you can compare according to the world standards that's more gifted than you. I'm not saying that we should never learn from people. I think part of being an apprentice of Jesus means that we do have a posture of a learner. But the reality is many people get trapped into comparing things and giftedness in ways that God did not call us to look at them. And so what ends up happening is instead of celebrating other people, you compare yourself. And pride and envy will keep you from being faithful to your talents. Pride and envy. I know so many people who are very, uh, who do have a lot more resources, who do have a lot more stuff, who do have maybe more money, and pride will keep you from faithfully stewarding your talent. But envy will also do the same. Because if you're just sitting comparing to what, however many resources somebody else has, comparing to how they are like this and you are not, then you will not walk in your talent and gifting either. You will not steward the resources God has given you because you're too busy looking at how everyone else is doing it and what they have. And so notice that he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Because faithfulness is the goal. He doesn't say, well done, smart and strategic servant. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. An old theologian by the name of Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, remember, my hearer, that in the day of judgment, the account must be personal. God will not ask you what your church did. He will ask you what you did yourself. Now, this is not a reason. This does not give the church license to do whatever we want. It's actually the opposite. Because Hebrews 13, 7 says the leaders are actually going to give an account 
We're going to have to give an account for how we stewarded the souls in this church. I am going to have to stand before God, and, and God is going to ask me, how did you steward and care for the souls of Portrait Church? So this doesn't mean that the church could do whatever they want, but it does mean that there is a personal responsibility that you have for stewarding the resources, your time, your talents, your treasure that God has given you. Because if you don't, here's what's going to happen. In verse 24, the one who received one talent, he said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the, man, the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Is that true? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at, the, at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to the one with 10, for to everyone who has more will be given, and he will take in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sorry, last week I thought I, that was the last weeping and gnashing of teeth. I thought, I thought we, we hear it today again today. It's a theme. It's a reality. It's a reality. And again, this guy had the same amount of time as everybody else. Same amount of time. He didn't lose any money. It's not like he said, hey, I lost it. So what, what's the issue here? I mean, he... He didn't lose it, so he, he just got back what he got. One theologian uh, who does commentaries, so when, when people do commentaries, they do a deeper dive on the book and the history, the cultural time. John Nolan said this. He said, Jesus was addressing a certain kind of nominalism among his contemporaries, quite happy to be in the general way within the orbit of the people of God, but unwilling to make themselves answerable to God's expectations in any committed sense. Jesus was after those who followed, who were nominal. It's a word I've heard growing up. I don't know if you've heard it, but this whole idea of nominal means by name only, by name only. It looks like you're a part of something by name, but you have no activity to prove it. Some of y'all know, listen, the third servant acted like he did something, but when he was evaluated, he didn't do much at all. Some of y'all know what it's like to, y'all know people who are by name only people. Y'all ever been in a group project? Y'all know what I'm talking about. That person who put their name on the project, but they never actually contributed to anything. Y'all know, some of y'all are like, ooh, that was me. I need to repent of that one. I need to go say sorry to Sally and Joe. And, but by name only. It's like those annoying Chiefs fans who just because they wear the jersey act like they won the Super Bowl. I know that some of y'all got a lot of, but right? It's like, fam, you didn't even play in the game. Yet you're excited like you won the game. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, can you? I, actually, I, I know people, so I, I can't imagine this. But people who, like, wore the Chiefs jersey all week acted like they played in the big game. Like, bro, you, you tired. What are you tired for? 
Throwing a Super Bowl party? You didn't tackle anybody. You're just acting all like, I got to call off work. Bro, get, get to work. You're fi- you didn't play in the game. But by name only, you think you associated with what happened. And that's just the issue. You're just a fan. And here's the thing. Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. Jesus is not looking for fans. He's not looking for you to just show up to church and throw on the Jesus jersey once a week. He, he's not, he's going to look and he's going to, why is your jersey not dirty? Did you not, oh, you, you, you never played the game. You never, you, never, you never lived out my instructions. You never, you, never, you never followed my playbook. But you want to claim, right? You know people like that, y'all. The high, you know, it's on the high school team. Bro, you just wore the jersey to the pep rally. You've never seen a minute in your life until senior night. <laughs> some of that sounds harsh. It's just an analogy, okay? I don't mean to take some of y'all back to your childhood nightmares, okay? God had a different plan. You just wasn't following it right away, all right? There's so much to be said about this idea. I hear it all the time. Oh, you know, they're not a Christian. They're just a nominal Christian. According to this text, you, say, you cannot be a nominal Christian. You can't just simply treat Jesus, trust Jesus by name alone. There has to be a surrender. There has to be an obedience factor to say, you know what? As we talked about last week, I'm not going to start wearing, I'm, I'm going to take off my clothes. I'm going to put on the clothes of the kingdom, and I'm going to actually go into the game. And God, I want to bring back more for you. I want to invest more for you of my life, talent, time, talent, treasure. I want to put the jersey on of the kingdom and get in the game. You can't just trust Jesus by name alone and then not have your life. James talks about it. Faith without works is dead. When the life of the, ser- the third servant was evaluated, he did not do anything at all. He lacked faith to risk doing anything to bring back the master more. And the reality is his belief in who the master was wasn't true. It wasn't true. He started saying things about the master that were not true. And the master was like, oh, really? You think, I'm a, you think I reap where I didn't sow, that I'm this hard master? Really? Because that's not, that's not what the other two did. No, you're lazy. That's, that was your problem. You were lazy. You didn't believe in me and, uh, of how you should have, so that impacted your behavior. He, didn't, he forgot that he would actually have to give an account. He forgot that his talents were on loan from the master. So some of us think we, we know a lot about God, but we have a very limited mindset about what God can actually do through us. I think, I think part of the reason some of us here are, are spiritually lazy is because of maybe, yes, abuse, spiritual abuse of how people have communicated things for us because we don't... We don't um, you know, we, we believe in God and therefore we obey. We don't obey in order to like receive it. Like it's like you could quickly turn into like a very works-based like salvation where like if I do all these things, then I will be saved. That's not what he's saying. Because you are saved, then your life should look different. It should. And I think many of us here, we're, we're spiritually lazy because we don't believe and who the master is. We don't actually have the right view. Because this master says now in Ephesians 3, now, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all ask or think according to the power at work within us. In Luke 16, he says, the one who is faithful in very few 
can be entrusted with more. He wants to give more, but he's trying to trust you with the few. And some of you think your few is very insignificant. And can I tell you, that's a lie from the enemy. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Look what's in front of you. Trust God with the very few because he's waiting to trust you with more. He's waiting. So your spiritual laziness is like, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to amount to anything. I'm not going to do anything. My little thing is not going to move the needle. He's like, no, this is kingdom. Remember, we talked about mustard. We talked about very small, insignificant things. That's actually the birthplace of the kingdom doing its work. Nothing, no amount of smallness that you are doing, whether it's at your job, in your house, in the classroom, all of it matters to advancing the kingdom. N.T. Wright says this, it's not great faith you need, it is faith in a great God. It is faith in a great God. And here's the reality, our ability to be faithful today comes from being convinced that he who holds tomorrow is faithful. Our ability to be faithful today is a matter of you being convinced that the king who is coming to bring his kingdom is faithful tomorrow and will always be faithful. If you don't believe that, it's going to shape your behavior and how you live now. We have to know that the king who is bringing this kingdom fully is going to come and that he is faithful. He is so faithful that even in this life, when there will be trouble, when there will be wars, there will be cultural wars, social wars, when your political candidate does not get picked, all those things are not going to hold up to the hope that we have in the kingdom coming. All those things are not going to hold up. What you believe shapes how you behave. It's, it's inevitable. And so the goal for us is to move from just simply being an attender to an apprentice. Many people just attend the, the Christian thing. You just, some of you, and here's the a, here's a thing to this. I know some of you are attending because you're trying to see if this is a place you can trust. Man, I am all for that. Please. We understand that we want to build a relationship and time with you. But there's many people who simply live the Christian life as attenders. You live it as a fan and not a follower. And an apprentice is not simply someone who knows like, oh, okay, I just follow Jesus and then I don't have to do anything. An apprentice knows that they are managers for the owner. That I have been put on this earth. I have been created to manage things and bring more glory to the owner. I have been created to image God. And how I live, how I work, how I play is meant to image the owner. You may culturally own a lot of things in this world. Cars, houses, a gym. You know, I was looking at my guy here. He's got a great gym. Quick plug. You Kaipa? Calamesa. Calamesa. You may own a lot of things. You got a lot of kids. They're not yours. They're not. I mean, yes, you know what I'm saying. They are yours. Don't call CPS on me. But in another, here's the thing. In an earthly realm, yes. Like we, they're our kids. But in the, in the realm of the kingdom, they're his. They're his. And how you treat people, how you treat your family, your spouse, it all is a reflection. As if you think you're the owner or the manager. It's all a reflection of that. 
Dr. Tony Evans says, any attempt you and I make to share ownership with God puts us on the side of Satan because we are operating out of the same attitude of pride. We're operating out of the same attitude of pride. And so my prayer today, honestly, has been that we would understand that God is actually the owner of all things, that we would not compartmentalize what he's the owner of and what he's not the owner of, that we would actually look at our lives and say, God, is there any places where we are not putting you in the position of ownership? Because he's going to ask, how were you responsible with the things that I've given you? And my job as pastor and as leaders in this church are to equip you to be good stewards of the things that God has given you. I don't want any people in this room to be afraid of the question one day when they stand before God. And and he says, what did you do with your life? Give an account. I want every person in this room to be confident, but you're not confident in your abilities. You're confident in who was the owner and you're confident that he gave you a calling to be a manager of all the things here on this earth. Your confidence comes from him, not you. And I want you all to step into that. And if you are feeling any type of discomfort or, man, then I think your view of God needs to shift. I think your view of God needs to shift. Yes, fear of the Lord, but man, he is so gentle. He is compassionate. His yoke, he says, is light. And in the words of the great Christian rapper, theologian, Andy, Min- Andy Minio, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. If you stay ready, you ain't got to get re- Ain't, too. Ain't got to get ready. So if we stay ready, we don't have to be so worried and consumed with when we're going to have to give an account because we're being faithful right here with what's in front of us. So I think some of us here, my invitation to you is to invite God to be owner of everything in your life. The seeking a relationship with him. It's, it's an invitation to say, God, I invite you to own it all. Some of you, you actually have a good understanding about this. You've been a, a follower of Jesus all your life. I think your life would maybe be marked by faithfulness. My, my encouragement and challenge to you is my prayer is that you wouldn't get so good at life that you stop consulting God in the process. You know, one of the most formative prayers a mentor of mine has given me is the night before a work day, I look at my schedule and then I invite God into what's about to happen. I say, God, let us do tomorrow to advance your kingdom. Let us. I, I love in the beginning of scripture when he, he's like, let us make man in our, God is a communal God. He wants to do things with you. So many of you are too busy doing things for him that he's like, yo, I want to do it with you. Like imagine how things would change in your life if you actually invited me. All the good godly things you're doing, but imagine if you invited me into the process. Some of you have been a a follower for so long. My, My challenge again, man, set a timer the night before. And may you just look over your schedule, look over the work you have to do, look over the stops you need to make and say, God, Man, can we do this together? Because I believe doing it together with you is going to lead me to be less anxious. 
It's going to remind me that you're in control, that you actually are the owner of all these things. You're the owner of my schedule, actually. Maybe there's wisdom that you need to give me and how I need to change my schedule. But I think some of us need to do that and invite him and have these let us prayers. So I did some research and um, I think, uh, did I put a picture of, is there a picture up there? Cool. It's uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. This is, according to all the studies, the number one place to go and retire when you are done with life. When you are done with your job, with your work, it's the number one place to retire. Why? It's safe, healthcare, affordability, it's beautiful. All these really good things. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Here's my fear though. My fear is that many of us here are living for worldly retirements and we are digging holes in the giftings that God has given us. And we are not advancing his kingdom. We are living for things on this earth, the good life. And we're living for things like retirement, which will have an end date instead of living for the kingdom, which is all of eternity. Because at the end of the day, it's not gonna be in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It ain't gonna be in Hawaii, Havana, or even the Himalayas, it's gonna be in heaven. And we are gonna come face to face with a God who's gonna say, what did you do with everything I gave you? And my prayer is that every single one of us will get the response, well done, good and faithful servants.